Hello, Fuji Love. This is Mark Sadowski, and we are about to bring you part two of our Christmas podcasting. And this second part will be the interview with Dan Bailey. But before we begin, I just want to say again Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays, and uh, we're going to have uh, New Year's Eve very shortly, so I wish everybody a very happy and safe New Year. Uh, I hope everybody's been uh, uh, getting their favorite camera presents now, Uh, (laughs) and I hope everybody's taking lots and lots of pictures. Uh, That being said... um, Dan Bailey is uh, continuing with his sale. Uh, if you want to uh, save 20% on photography on the brain course, uh, head on over to uh, courses.danbaileyphoto.com and use the offer code FUJILOVE20. Uh, you're going to find all of that in the show notes below. Uh, but yeah it's a great deal and uh you could also get his very famous and very updated uh x-series unlimited and it is your guidebook to all the fujifilm cameras and every time there's an update to the camera or if there's a brand new camera the the book gets updated and you can't be beat an offer like that so uh definitely give it a try um Again, you'll find all of this in the show notes. And I, I, again, once again, I hope everybody is having a safe, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. And we'll see you all in the new year. My guest this week is none other than the legendary Dan Bailey. Dan, as probably many of you know, is an amazing landscape photographer, adventure photographer, and he has been an official ex-photographer for a many of years, one of the originals. Dan, good to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Um, yeah, it's really fun to be the, be here with you. It, um, I, I got to say, I have been thoroughly enjoying your uh, YouTube channel as of late. Uh, your how I got into the X photography series has been truly amazing. It it is always fun to ask how people uh, became part of the, became part of the family. Uh, In fact, it's pretty much the backbone of this podcast. Um, It's always fun to hear the origin stories. Uh, Did you imagine that it was going to be such a, uh, multi-part series did you envision that from the beginning or did you think it was going to be like maybe one or two episodes because this is a quite quite the long-running uh series that you have yeah it ended up being 10 episodes and no i didn't <laughs> i didn't anticipate uh that it would it would go that far I, I just had no idea i just i think it was january or something i came up with the idea of doing uh yeah doing um you know, the first video, which was, yeah, my, how I, I can't remember how, what, how I called it, you know, my, my 10 years with the Fuji Poem X series. Yeah. And, 
And so I just figured I'd start with the X10, which was my gateway drug. And so I just talked about that. And and I've had all this stuff. A lot of these I've had documented, you know, through um, you know my previous blog posts about the camera launches and my previous you know posts that I and reviews I've done and just images I've shared with each camera. So I just started with the X10, and and I just kept going. And then I I, I kind of knew it was going to be a series because I I you know I know that a series doing a series is, is, is a good way to kind of keep people in the loop. Uh, and it was fun for me, but I, as I went on, I, I kind of, I realized, okay, well, I hadn't planned it all out at all, which I generally don't plan anything out on my life in any kind of aspect in any kind of, you know, I just kind of get an idea and run with it and see what happens. That's just how I do things. And so for the series, I did the first one. And then as, as I went on, I, I realized that each episode was going to be a year, and in each year, uh, I would talk about, you know, feature the model that was introduced, uh, you know, especially if it was an XT model because that was that was, you know, the XT has been my jam the whole time. Yeah, that's been my preference. Uh, you know, that's yeah, my identity as an ex photographer, my style, everything about it has been wrapped around the XT series. And so the episodes that uh, each episode features heavily with the X-Series or with the X-T-Series because of, you know, I would share all the pictures I took with it or, or many of my favorite pictures I shot with each of the cameras. And, and then I would talk about the lenses that were introduced and some of the other models that were introduced and just the general technologies and, you know, how Fujifilm was progressing as a company during throughout all these years. And... And they, they went pretty smoothly and I just kept going and they got long, they kept getting longer and longer. Uh, <laughs> I think the first one was 10 minutes and they ended up being over 20 minutes, uh, for the last few episodes. And it, it was easy to get through winter, but then as spring came, I was like, Oh God, I got a couple more episodes and now we got a trip coming on. You know, yeah. finally, you know, finally started traveling in April. That was the first time we'd taken a trip in two years. And so, oh yeah, because COVID uh, released uh, pretty much like yeah, restrictions had yeah. go. Yeah, we'd gotten our you know first booster a few months earlier, and so we were finally starting to travel again. And so that had to work around that. But I I was able to get the tenth episode shot. I think beginning of May, and and so that was you know about the XT four, which I had. Which, which at the time was the latest Fuji and the most advanced. And so, and I, yeah, I stopped it at 10 because that was my 10 years. And it, it, it had been a milestone run for me. And it was fun to look back on not just the models and not even just the pictures I've taken, but I, I think as the reason they got longer is because I just kept sharing more stories from my own life in the past decade. Yeah. You know, whether it was my experience doing certain trips or workshops and events that I was able to do, or, you know, even like my adventures, mountain biking and, you know, just, just moving on as a person through these 10 years and how I evolved as not just a photographer, but just, just as who I am and my identity. And so it was just a really fun retrospective to do. Were there any uh, surprises when you were uh, getting everything ready and looking back, for example, looking back at the, 
the X10, uh, the, the, your very first camera, uh, while you were kind of digging up the, the old photos and uh, looking at it now with 10 years of uh, experience behind your belt uh, and, and knowledge of the, 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 the better knowledge of the camera, uh, anything surprise you about the, the beginning of your journey? Uh, I've had a pretty good memory and recollection of this whole thing. Uh, and, yeah. and the, 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 I guess the, the ways that I would plan each, each episode, uh, the first couple I actually wrote out, I think, uh, I, I might've just written the whole thing out, uh, with the first one, I might've even done a full blog post and then just read the blog post. Uh, and, so maybe that was the first two. And then I started, then I would just started to make, I have a, a program that I use for my, for writing. And so I would just make a bunch of notes. And sometimes I would kind of lie in bed in the morning and before I got up and I would just think about an episode, a couple of I planned that way. I would just think about what I was going to say and just kind of off, you know, stream of consciousness, think about what happened during each year. But yeah. a lot of times I would go back into my photo library catalog and just look at each year and just see what you know, that would spark memories of, you know, pictures I had shot and trips I'd taken. So I don't know that there was too many surprises. Maybe I would, uh, you know, had forgotten that, oh, I shot that lens with this or that shot that picture with this camera or that lens. Yeah. Uh, but, but for the most part, I have a pretty good associative memory when it comes to this. Uh, I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm horrible at remembering names. If you tell me <laughs> in, your name, unless I see it written down in front of me, like if you know, we're at a trade show and you tell me your name, I won't remember it. But if I just do the, the trade show glance down at your badge, I'll remember it. Yeah. And, and, but so what I have, if I'm able to associate memories with, you know, camera models or things like that or events. Um, so yeah, I don't know if any, any surprises, I guess the surprise was, is how many people, how well it resonated with people. You know, each each episode has gotten a lot of viewers and tons of comments, which I encouraged. I was like, "Hey, you know, let me know your uh, journey with the Fuji cameras, and you know, what was your first Fuji?" And how, and then everybody who would comment, I would ask them, "Well, what are you using now? What do you like to shoot?" Out of the responses that you've gotten, uh, because you're right, as you're starting off very early on in the in the camera series, like like you said, you were there from the very beginning. Uh, you have uh, every every camera that you're trying out is potentially somebody's first camera. Uh, where where do you see a lot of uh, your uh, viewership? What was their uh, what What did you notice to be their first camera in, in the series? Like, what was the one that people were vocal about the most? Uh, it seems like a lot of people came in on the X-T1 and X-T2, uh, yeah. which, which makes sense because, because the X-T1 was such a groundbreaking camera. And that was, I think that was my favorite episode to do because the X-T1 was, was such a momentous and milestone camera and not just my own career, but in, in, and not just Fujifilm's, uh, career or history, but in the entire industry as well, because it, it was the first outdoor action ready, fully weather sealed, fast autofocus, yeah, mirrorless camera. 
And you got to use it before it even had a body. Yeah, that that's right. I uh, so a lot of the the first few episodes uh, surround, especially like the second, third, and fourth episodes uh, surround this man named Yuji Yuji Igarashi, yeah. who's at the time I was introduced to him at a trade show at one of the Photo Plus shows uh, in the fall of two thousand thirteen. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 13. And at the time he was, had come in to be like the Japanese liaison to the U S marketing team for Fujifilm US. Yep. And so I had been communicating with Fujifilm, uh, during the past couple of years and they had been a client of mine in the, back in the nineties and early two thousands. I had sold them a few photos shot on Velvia slide film. Yeah, the print, uh, the film days. Yeah, and so I, in fact, one of the women, the woman who used to buy my photos that were made on slide film, she ha- was still at the company at the time, and so that was that was pretty cool to still have that relationship going. But anyway, Yuji, uh, when Yuji met me, he was a fan of my work, and he said, "Well, we've got something we think you want to see." You know, he, he'd seen how, how excited I was about the X10 and X20. And even, uh, I had been trying, I'd been using the XE one, which wasn't really an action, fast action camera, but it had, it was my first Fuji's that I shot with that had the full size X-Trans sensor. Yeah. And the quality was stunning. It was, it was amazing. And so he knew how excited I was about the series. And so he said, we, and he liked my work and I was an obvious choice for, you know, what the XT one was all about. And so he's, he brought me in on that project and he, they sent me an XE two with XT one firmware in November of that year, which was about four months before it was even introduced. And so I shot with it for a couple of weeks, about three weeks or something and shot a and shot a bunch of photos and then I kind of forgot about it until I saw the announcement because uh, I'd always been speculating well in the back of my mind well what what's this thing going to really look like you know Yuji yeah. had he had showed me you know mock-ups of it you know just drawings and I was like well that you know that looks pretty cool but I didn't really know what it was going to look like and when they when the official announcement came. I was blown away. I was like, "Oh my god, they they nailed it!" And so I called. Uh, I was actually heading off to Iceland later at the end of the week to do uh, to do to attend a travel trade show and shoot photos. At the time, I was part owner in a photo workshop company here in Alaska, and so we were going to market our workshops at this travel trade show. Yep. But I figured, what better opportunity to test the XT1? And so Yuji got me one of the first XT1s and I was, yeah. So one of the first U S photographers, North American photographers to shoot with one. And so I shot like crazy with it in Iceland. And then when I got back from Alaska and I still have it, I mean, that's the one I still have. It's all beat up. Um, and so when, when they, when they announced when the XT1 was actually released, uh, or, or when it was, you know, officially released, I had my, by then I had my full blog post review and it was 
you know, by far the most comprehensive review because I'm a lot of reviewers, a lot of camera review sites had been able to get one to review, but I'd been actually able to use it, you know, in my style of outdoor photography throughout the yeah. winter time, put it through its paces. So I didn't just have a lot of traffic because I have a lot of traffic on my camera site because I do review every camera and that's get a lot of clicks. I had a great review because I had the pictures to back it up. Yep. And so that got a lot, a lot of traction. So that was the XT one episode, which was episode number three in my series. What was probably my favorite one to do. Uh, but, but that was one of a lot of people's first, you know, that was their introduction to the X series. And then the XT two, because the XT two really ramped up the performance and a lot of people by then, you know, two years later, people were like, okay, this, you know, we see what's going on. Uh, so I'm going to get in on that. And then a lot of the DSLR shooters who were holdouts finally jumped on the XH one. Yeah. So, but I, through, when I read through all the comments, I, I'm, there's, you know, every model has been somebody's first model from what I've yep. seen. But I think, I, you know, the most is XT1, XT2, and maybe XH1. Those those are the ones that come to mind. It's always such a pleasure to 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 read everybody's uh, either post or emails. Uh, you could you could just feel the the energy in the in the post, just their excitement for you, you know being wide eyed for that first you know that seeing that first image pop out and, and you know whether it's the sharpness or the color or the skin tone or or, or the vibrancy you know whatever it is whatever flavor it is that that is the most important thing to the 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 photographer they're just so alive in the description and it, it, it's 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 amazing i, I love it and I never get tired of asking people um, the same question because their stories are always going to be different, even though we meet on eventually meet on that common street, uh, the common road. Um, the, the the paths to it is always so different and and, and so um, and so uh, lively. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, totally. Um, I, one thing that, uh, the, the thing that, you know, going back to your previous question, what was most people's first camera? Well, the, the episode that got the most traffic was the first one and that was the X10 episode. So I don't know if that's, you know, that, how accurate that tracks in terms of, you know, th that correlation. Uh, but that's, that's the most popular episode. Number two is the XT2 episode. Yeah. And that was episode five. And so well, those are the, yeah. the first one, I would say this was, you know, this was your journey. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, uh, a, lot, a lot of your fans wanted to, to, to see what, what made, what made you, it, it's, it's a, it's a slice of you that you're sharing that uh, even though you're talking about, uh, a, a personal preference it, 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 in the long run, it speaks to you as a whole, like you're, you're, you know, that you 
came alive at this where uh, uh where you were otherwise kind of uh you know you know feeling the the stress of, of the DSLRs like uh, so many of us were you know this was your this was your turning point and yeah. uh what i think is so important for others is to see that their favorite people uh you know what their struggle was that and what what they were able to accomplish and it it gives them uh that that kick so to speak to to make that jump themselves yeah i i think you're right there i i i totally agree with that uh yeah because that everybody has their moment at which they ditch their dslr yeah uh, you know if that was where you came from and it was a momentous occasion for everybody because it was a big deal you know our dslrs and our slrs that was our lifeblood for years and they kept getting bigger and more expensive and bigger and heavier and and it was an interesting time especially for nikon shooters because and and i i see this as a very serendipitous uh ter- way this played out played out you know, turn of events because I was a diehard D 700 shooter. Yeah. That was my last Nikon. And that was, that was an interesting camera for Nikon because, uh, or or it was the end. It was kind of the end of a a specific, specific style of marketing that Nikon had done. So they always had, they always had their flagship model, like the D one and two and three. Yep. And then they had, you know, the, the lower model, the, you know, the hundred series models, the D 100, D 200, D 300, 700. And Would those were equivalent of like the five, uh, Canon five D. Uh, yeah, not, I'm, I've never been a Canon shooter, so I don't know, uh, exactly what all of their models were, but for the Nikon, they always had the top of line model and the little brother model. Yeah. The little brother, sister model. Okay, so it sounds about right. I I was never a, a Nikon photographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're probably so you had the like the Canon 5D Mark II, uh, so maybe the the EOS uh, like 7D something like that. Yep. Yeah. So it was they just number them differently, but like the Nikon's, you had the D3 and then the D300. Uh, and so anyway, the D700 was an extremely capable camera. It was so good that a lot of people didn't buy the D3s because why would you want to buy a he- much heavier D3 when the D700 was so capable and much yeah. lighter and smaller? And Nikon had a, a, a very, I don't know anything about the method of why they followed this track, but they started to depart from that right after the D 700, because the the 700 was getting a little long in its tooth and we were all waiting for the next camera to come out. And, and, and instead of coming out with the true successor, they came out with the D 800, which was a totally different style of camera. You know, that had the, the ultra high megapixel sensor and it was weather sealed, but it didn't have you know, super fast autofocus. It didn't have super high frame rates. It wasn't an action photographer's camera. 
Yeah. It was like a methodical landscape and studio camera and portrait camera because it was so high resolution. And so for a guy like me, and there were a lot of me's that are out there like, okay, well that's not, you know, I'm a 700 guy. What's my next choice? What's my successor? Well, it's not that. Okay. I'll keep waiting. And then they came out with the D 600, which like, okay, that's it. Oh, when you look into it, oh, well, that's not it because, uh, and I think for me it was, it had to do with the, the breadth of the autofocus and the depth of how wide the autofocus could track in, uh, in the frame and, and, you know, some, some, some technical specifications of the camera that were definitely stepped down from the D 700 to make it more of a consumer friendly camera, lower price model. So it was like, okay, the 800 isn't it. This, the D 600 isn't it. Uh, what am I going to do? And then the D 600 had like these oily spots on the sensors. So they came out with the D 610 to fix that. And we're all some people like me are still waiting. Like, well, what, what am I going to do? What's the next camera? And yeah. then suddenly I, I, I find this little Fuji at the trade show, this little X 10. <laughs> and I immediately, I mean, it just immediately grabbed my attention and I tried it out for 10 minutes at the booth before I had to run and catch my train. But that, those 10 minutes made the impact on me. And as soon as I got back, I ordered one. As soon as yeah. I got back home, I ordered one and that was it. And I wouldn't have been so ex- excited or, I, or maybe that's not the right way of putting it. The, 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 that little Fuji definitely had an exciting quality to it, but I wouldn't have been so in the mindset of looking for something different because Nikon wasn't updating the D series in a way that was going to work for me. And it didn't seem like they had any, you know, the D750 pretty much was it, but that came so much later. And if Nikon had updated the D700 with the 750, in, like right at the time of the 800 came out, who knows? I might still be a Nikon shooter because I, I love to shoot my Nikons. And if they had given me a solution immediately, you know, instead of making us all wait and in some cases wait too long, a lot of us switched. Why do you think, like, I mean, presuming uh you know you you don't work for nikon or anything there's yeah. no, no way you're gonna 100 know but why why do you feel that this kind of step backwards happened do you do you think it was because it, it was uh of sales like they, they they had to uh for the lack of better words kind of dumb it down just so they can keep up with other models you know they they don't want one model to overshadow another model and you think that kind of got out of hand for me the obvious answer would be because if you had if the if you had an extremely capable smaller less expensive camera then why would someone buy a d4 you know, they, they didn't want to cannibalize sales on their own models, which is what the D700 had done so well. And so instead of, I, I don't know, I, I it's, it seems like that would be a great marketing strategy if you had a series that was so popular, like the D700 was, you know, keep running with that. But I think they were so 
entrenched in their flagship models. Yeah. Uh, they wanted the D4s to sell, but those things were getting expensive. DSLRs were getting really expensive at the time. I mean, it wasn't the D the D4 was like the first DSLR. It cost four or five thousand dollars. They were, yeah, yeah, they were pretty crazy. Uh, Yeah, it's like I'm not going to spend that much on a camera ever. I don't need to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, so that was good enough incentive for you to uh, at least subconsciously, you know, you're 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 looking around, even though that you don't know that you're looking around and your radar picked up the, the Fuji film. Were there any other cameras that you actually tried prior to the Fujifilm or anything else ping that radar, but fell flat? No. Well, um, because I had Sony was making their big push too. Yeah. I, I considered, so I, I went to California. Well, I guess this is a little later. Um, so while I was shooting with the X10, I did my trip to California. Uh, and that was the first trip I'd ever done. Uh, basically in my whole photography life where I left my big camera at home. Yeah. And we did this week long trip up the California coast and then hung out with a couple friends who lived in the Bay area. And one of my friend, the one of the guy I hung out with, he's a, he was an enthusiast photographer too. And he's a, you know, really, he's a genius. He's a, he has a doctorate in theoretical physics from the Max Planck Institute and he works at Google He's just a genius, and he's also an ultra-athlete. He's done the Iditarod Invitational, basically walking to Nome, pulling a sled. I think he's done it eight times now. So he's he's an incredible athlete, and he's brilliant. Uh, So he's always been intrigued by small performance cameras, too. And so when I went to visit him, he had the Sony Next 7, I think it was. Yeah, the NEX Uh, system was really nice. Yeah, I think it was the 7. And, and his girlfriend. Oh, see, he uh, can't be that smart. <laughs> yeah. And, his, Wink. <laughs> and, and Jill, uh, she had the, the five, I think, or the three and hers was yeah. pink. I don't know if it was the five or the three, but it was, it was pink, but she loved it. And she, and she's not a, you know, super accomplished photographer, but she does a lot of travels and outdoor stuff and takes pictures and has really successful blog. So that's her, that was her baby. But Bayot had that, I'm pretty sure it was the NX7. And so uh, I was pretty, I had the X10 at the time, but just kind of comparing back and forth, I was pretty intrigued by it. It was, I was, yeah, I I wasn't, you know, thinking, well, I'm going to get this, but, but I wasn't, I was intrigued by what was coming out for smaller cameras. I remember I, I did a couple of blog posts about smaller cameras and how to get good performance from you know, these small new mirrorless cameras that were coming out. But no, there was nothing that I ha- had also used. And, and it was like a matter of, well, I like this one better. I like this Fuji better. Uh, my approach was I was still an icon shooter very much, even when I got the X10, but I would use the X10 either by itself, you know, take it out on hiking trips by myself or even that California trip, or I would do a really cool adventure you know, go out riding fat bikes out by the glaciers all day, take my D 700 and my X 10 and just shoot them side by side. Uh, you know, or my X 20, you know, shoot them side by side as, you know, just two cameras and man, I would shoot, you know, maybe telephoto stuff with an icon and kind of wide angle middle stuff with the Fuji. 
just back and forth uh, without even thinking about it. But as I went on, I just, you know, fell more in love with uh, the X, with the little X10 and X20. And then, I, and then I did try the XE1, as I said, and I had even shot some aerials with it, and I was blown away by the quality. Because you don't need super fast autofocus and weather sealing when you're in the plane shooting aerials. It's just yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah, as long as you can, yeah, the limiting factor is how long can I stand having the window open when I'm flying at 80 miles an hour at like 8,000 feet and it's 10 below out. <laughs> yeah. I um, um, I could never get into the XE1. That was the only Fuji camera that, that, that I actively hated. I, I, didn't ac- I didn't hate it. I actually took it on, I did a, a cycling trip in Europe. We did a, a, a trip in uh we rode this trail that went through Germany, Austria, Italy. And for that trip, that was 2013. I took only the XE1 and the X20. Yeah. And and the X, XE1 was definitely limiting. It didn't have super fast autofocus, but I was intrigued by the challenge. I mean, I embraced the challenge of these X-series cameras, these early models, because they were they weren't as capable as what I had been used to and what my skills were. And so I embraced the challenge of trying to figure out how to fit them into my style. And that was part of the love is, was, was learning everything about the cameras so that I could adapt them to and make them do what I wanted to do and shoot in the way that I normally want to capture images. And, and that's why the, that's why the XT one was such a big deal for me when it finally came out, because that was like, this is it. This is it. But one of the, when you asked me if there was any surprises, uh, I think my biggest surprise was, you know, I, at one point while I was filming the series, uh, I actually pulled my XT1 out and went out and shot with it for a day. And I was surprised at how small it was. <laughs> it's tiny. It's so small compared it to It is like, the like, smallest little thing. It's like a little baby yeah. in your hand. And so, and so this is going to be our segue to the next, uh, the next generation. When I saw the, the preview, like what you, when Yuji did his, you know, preview video or announcement video for the X-T5, he actually said it was closer in size to the X-T1 than the X-T4. Yes. And I, I, that was, that blew me away. That- so, I, so I sat there watching because I, I had actually done, uh, uh, you know, I was like, well, the X-T5 is going to be announced. I need to get a review post up, but I don't have one. But at least I can talk about the specs and just how excited I am and, you know, just let people know what's coming because I knew some of the features were going to go on. And so I got up at 5 a.m. in Alaska time because Yuji was in the other side of the world doing his yeah. announcement. So I was up at 5 a.m. in front of my computer watching his presentation and taking screenshots of his presentation whenever the camera would come on so I could have some stuff to, to throw in my, my video and which I was able to get posted like in, you know, within an hour or two after his presentation. And so that was the thing that intrigued me the most when he'd said the X-T5 was closer in size to the X-T1 than the X-T4. That has me super excited. Uh, yeah, right. Like as two guys who were super excited and still haven't seen it in person yet. <laughs> Jesus. I, I, as of this recording, uh, it, right now it's December 4th. Um, I, I have yet to receive it. Uh, and uh, 
I think it's going to, according to BNH, it's going to release or they're going to going to get it on the twenty third. So potentially, I might get it on the twenty fourth. It's might be my Christmas miracle. <laughs> yeah, so Santa might be able to have one in his bag for the. <laughs> oh my goodness! If if yeah. uh, one one could hope, uh, wow, because that would yeah. be a, a great thing to use for uh, the 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 family dinner that that night. Um, yeah. Well, that would be a great thing to use to just like, sorry guys, I'm going out to take pictures. Have fun eating dinner. I'll see you. <laughs> it's uh you're not wrong um, <laughs> yeah how many dinners have we missed as photographers <laughs> yeah oh more than i can yeah. count um uh, yeah it, it just the size factor the hearing the size factor and, and knowing what's inside this the 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 amazing custom-made ibis that fujifilm developed the the card system, the the, yeah. the the processing power alone on on such a huge megapixel uh, sensor. I mean, just man, anything is possible now. I can only imagine what is going to be down the road uh, for for next year and, and and then some because being able to uh, shrink things down uh, without tremendous overheating or anything like that uh is is amazing oh yeah absolutely you know it, it's it's funny you know i've been in this game long enough and i've seen the entire evolution of digital and i've seen things get more expensive less expensive bigger smaller you know there was the you know the whole dslr move was everything got bigger and more expensive and yeah mirrorless everything's got smaller but even then, the mirrorless camera started getting bigger, and so it's nice to see that Fuji's reversing that trend and start starting to go back down the curve on on smaller body size. And so I, I haven't even ordered one yet. I, uh, you know, it, it. I guess was saying I was able to, you know, be one of the first X photographers or first people in the U.S. to actually use the XT1, and same was for the XT2 and three. I was on the early you know, test review, uh, schedules for those. Uh, the XT4 was a little different. I wasn't able to get one until like a year and a half after it came out. And so I'm hoping that's not, I have no idea when I'll get an XT5 from Fujifilm, but I'm thinking I might just go buy one just cause I, cause it looks like it, it I'm so excited about, uh, just like I said, the form factor being closer to the XT1 in size and, and the body style that reverts back to the you know three-way screen instead of the flip-out screen. So I'm I keep checking the the website from my local store to see if they have you know as soon as they have one in stock I'll probably run down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but you have been able to use the 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 new XH systems, uh, both the S and the non-S version. I have I have not seen the S. I did a trip to. I did an overnight trip to Seattle at the end of September and uh, I met with my friend Jeff, who's the Seattle Fujifilm rep. And so he showed me, he let me play with his X H two for, for just an hour or two. Oh, gotcha. Um, and so it, it was an extremely short time. I had this, but I was impressed at how small it was. I was surprised. I, I, I would had, say about the same size as the, um, 
the XT4 ish. Yeah, but a different but a different body style. Yep. And so it it actually felt I mean it just yeah, it seems it seems small in my hands. Maybe that's because I was expecting this bigger camera and it does have the bigger grip, but maybe what it is is it has a more pronounced grip, so the width is a little bit bigger, especially on that grip side, but it's not very tall. It retains the, you know, the, the height. Yes. Of, and so it, it, it feels, it feels smaller in your hands than you'd expect. Yep. It's same mass, but the, it, it's displaced differently. Yeah. So I, so I didn't have a huge amount of chance to check that out, but I did try out the subject detect autofocus. We were driving in the car and so I put it on automobile on the setting and it was just, you know, shooting cars out the window. And I was really impressed at how fast it tracked. The autofocus on these new cameras is blazingly fast. It's so quick. It is such an improvement. I, I can yeah. I can attest to that. I just <laughs> uh, recently photographed uh, some wolves and, and using the animal detect was uh, <clears throat> amazing. It, it was uh, yeah. such an improvement from, from the X-T3. Uh, you know... The autofocus thing is funny because, I mean, every generation of camera obviously keeps improving. Yeah. Both in sensor quality, image, every specs and everything. But autofocus is the first and the most prominent thing that we all notice because yeah. that's the most obvious spec. And and I was told, you know, Yuji told me a, a number of years back that that the Fuji engineers, the software engineers, that's always their first priority. No matter what they're doing, that's always their first priority is to is to incre- is to increase the speed of the autofocus system. You know, whether it's firmware updates or whether it's the software that goes into the next model. But as someone who has shot from the X series from almost the beginning, because I w- I didn't shoot with the original X one hundred because I remember I remember when it came out. That was I my was first in- camera. Yeah, and I was intrigued by it. Because it showed this new style of camera that was coming out. And then the X Pro One came out, but I've never been a rangefinder guy. And so I wasn't I was intrigued by those from a professional standpoint, you know, from an industry standpoint. Because at the time I was, you know, my blog was gaining a lot of popularity and about, you know, because I was reviewing cameras. And even though it wasn't really a camera review site, it was, you know, my pro insight uh, about cameras in the industry and where we're going and especially you know as it as it applied to outdoor photographers so i could see well these new cameras are coming out you know i'm not an ex pro guy you know i'm not i tried it i'm not you know i wasn't intrigued by using the x pro one yeah. because it wasn't my style but i was intrigued by okay well this is what cameras are doing this is exciting to see what could come in the future uh, but it also, I was blown away by when I started reading about how many like wedding and portrait photographers were dumping their heavy DSLR setups for the X-Pro1. And I remember people were asking me, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I sell all my gear and get the, get, get the Fuji? At the time, I was still a Nikon shooter, or I still had my Nikons, even though I was shooting the Fujis more and more. <laughs> And I would tell them, oh, yeah, you should do that. But I still hadn't done it yet. Yeah. Until, until if it was, uh, 
I got the XT one in first week in February of 2014. And it wasn't until almost about a year later, I, I finally, I'm like, man, I looked over my camera shelf one time and I was like, man, I, I keep telling people they should do this. I should walk the walk. So that was, it took me a year after getting the XT one to finally sell my Nikon gear, but I hadn't actually used it for about a year because why I had this in the spring of 2014, I had this big assignment and the first day my Nikon failed my first time ever water got into we're foot we're up on up on the mountainside shooting shooting mountain climbers uh you know hiking up this ridge and in order to make it look like a blizzard they had the helicopter you know flying over right overhead just yeah. sort of creating this blizzard looking conditions and uh and the you know basically this snow and ice being blasted at all of us you know water got moisture got into the camera right under like the aperture ring uh, somehow into the body, like the, the little, there's a little tiny port where the aperture ring, you know, would show in the, inside the viewfinder mm-hmm. inside, the, in the, inside the pentaprism. Cause there was a little tiny mirror there that would show you the actual ring, the number on your ring. So it got in there somehow and, and it just failed. It just, you know, on the, the LCD, the, the screen said F E E you know, for error. Yep. So I put it down, used the XT1 for the whole rest of the week in the assignment. The week's done. I got I set the uh, camera back for repair. As soon as it came back and put it on my shelf where it sat for a year, I finally, after a year, I was like, okay, I guess I better walk the walk and, and get rid of all this stuff before it keeps losing value. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was, uh, for me, uh, the X-Pro1, I, I, I loved it dearly. Uh, the, it, some of the best looking colors uh that, that I ever photographed were on on the X Pro one. I, I rented it during a wedding in June and up in New Hampshire, up in the Sugar Hill area, you have the lupins that are all in bloom. And they have their month long festival where they, they the the townspeople put up these like awesome scarecrows uh, in, in their front yard, one person had this like really colorful uh, scarecrow, and it's in front of this field, not of the lupins, but of this field of yellow flowers and, uh, and a clear blue sky. And, and I took that photo. Like I passed by it, slammed on the brakes, turned around, and, and got out, grabbed the the, the X Pro One with the thirty five millimeter. Um, 1.4 and, and took that shot and it's still one of the most colorful photos I've ever taken. And it wasn't even using the Provia setting. It was just using the, uh, it was using Provia, not Velvia. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one of the things that I w- had read from a lot of the comments on that series, all those videos, a lot of people would tell me that they love the way the images look from the sensor on the X Pro One or the XE One or the XT One. Yeah, and <clears throat> but the and wedding so that I was photographing that weekend, I could not keep up with like, uh, say, like the bride walking towards me. Yeah, uh, that that autofocus just just wasn't uh, wasn't up to speed 
for for me. I, I'm, yeah. I'm so used to the Canon, uh, and, and so I had to rely on anything that was movement heavy. I, I had the Canon for, but right. anything that was kind of slow, like if the couple were doing a very slow dance, I would use the X Pro One. Um, and get that shot. I was able to be a little bit more slower with it since they weren't exactly breaking the sound barrier. Um, so there, there are certain moments where I was able to use it and, and get just incredible shots. And, and the funny thing is that if you look at that weekend and, and look at the photos that I took with the, the, the X pro one and, and the photos that I took with the uh, Canon you would think that it was two different people. The style was so different. Um, and I personally enjoyed the person behind the X pro series than the, the, the person behind the Canon series. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, that's, you know, kind of what I was wanted to touch on. The autofocus keeps getting better in all of yeah. these cameras. And that's been a really exciting thing. I was talking about my, I embraced the challenge of using these earlier models, you know, even though they weren't as capable as, as what I had been used to. Um, but I was able to make them work for me because I had been, you know, a well-practiced experienced action shooter for the past 15 or so years. Yeah. And, And so that's, that was my background. So I was able to, you know, there are a lot of there's a lot of techniques you can use if the camera is not as capable as you want as you want it to be or need it to be in any situation. There are workarounds and there there are technique techniques you can use to you know get the shot you want despite what the camera can do. Yep. And and I I on my YouTube channel I, I and in emails and things I hear from a lot of people. And it's funny because it's every gener- generation of X-Series. I've heard this with the X-T1, and I've heard it with the X-H2 and the X-H2S, which are, I mean, I've never seen a faster autofocus system than on these two new cameras. I had There was a guy the other day who commented on my blog post or, or my YouTube video, and he said, well, I bought the X-T5 based on your review, and the autofocus is horrible. I ha- I can't get you know, what I'm trying to shoot. It's, you know, or else, you know, I, I bought the X, the yeah, XH2 just, you know, can't hold a candle to my Sony, blah, 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 or my whatever. And, you know, or I was trying to shoot this and I couldn't get it. You know, this camera is just, you know, the Fuji needs to really ramp up their autofocus system. And I, I actually hear this a lot. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, I know exactly what it is. I think people's expectations for what they can do with a camera are very high and they should be because these cameras are extremely capable, but at some point there are situations where your technique is going to have to, you know, kick in into the mix because autofocus, the the system alone isn't going to get the shot. Yep. And so that's something that I try to teach a lot. Uh, I've got a YouTube video that talks about techniques with autofocus. And actually right now this, this month I'm actually working on, a course. I have a new online uh, on my website. I've got some new online courses that I've launched recently, and I'm working on a brand new one 
that's going to be all about mastering the Fujifilm autofocus system. So this is going to be geared towards any Fuji photographer who, who shoots anything that moves, you know, whether it's sports and action or birds or airplanes, or even just like the weekend shooter who shoots their kids and dogs and friends. And because autofocus, we use it for everything. And, and it's, it is an extremely technical aspect of the camera. And being an experienced, competent autofocus photographer takes a ton of practice and it takes a really solid technical understanding of this gear. And so I, I read these comments from people. And of course, my first thought is, well, you know, how long have you been shooting? How long have, you know, what kind of experience do you have? You know, to make oh, a blanket. Hey, question me, I have. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to make a blanket statement, well, I, I bought the X-T5 and autofocus system sucks on it. It's like, well, <laughs> no, it doesn't, dude. <laughs> you know, um, but but that's, I mean, it, it's that's the joy of YouTube comments is reading stuff like that. You're like, you know, you need a comic relief bit during the day and a little bit of laughter in the day. You can read some of your comments, you know, because uh, like ninety five percent of the comments are you know always positive and just you know people enjoy the video or they'll share their own Fuji stories. And then sometimes I'll get these, you know, people on there who just say stuff like that or just kind of go on these tirades about how Fuji needs to something or they didn't do this right or they should do their, you know, their their marketing is all wrong and and why did they release? It was a huge mistake to release the XTH and the, X, the XTH2 and the XH2S together and the XT5 so soon after. It's like, <laughs> how do you feel about that, actually? Um, because <clears throat> in some ways... Uh, I think Fujifilm was smart, and, and but but one can't help think about the 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 X XH one, and then a month later the the XT three comes out. Uh, with this, at least we had the XH two S that was uh, announced uh, in the late spring, early summer. I, I think it was. Uh, actually the, the XH one was announced in February and I no, know no, that the XH two. Right. Oh, oh yeah. But you, but you talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mentioned, I mentioned that the XH one was announced and then shortly after the XT three was announced, right? Yeah. It was actually the XH one was February and the XT three was September. So it was actually quite a few months. It was oh, way okay. shorter. Yeah. Oh man, I remember that dude. so yeah. differently. <laughs> yeah, because I the, effect. <laughs> the XH1 was announced on my on the night on the eve night of my fiftieth birthday. As I remember that because I flew down to LA for for less than twenty four hours because at midnight I was going to turn fifty. You know, yeah. during this presentation, and so I I thought, well, I've been shooting Fujifilm for half my adult life. You know, basically twenty five years with cameras and film and so what what better way to celebrate this latest camera launch than fly down on the night of my birthday nice. my 50th, 50th birthday and then uh, when the xt3 was being previewed you know as an extra photographer i got to test one in the summer of later that year and then it was announced i, I believe in september early september because i had oh yeah i was in idaho over labor day weekend doing a, a gravel race on my bike uh and i'm doing the blog post on on my uh ipad because uh they had just and it was just announced it right after labor day weekend 
Wow, that's amazing. I, I think, uh, man, I, I, I could swear that people are <laughs> yeah. so much closer. Uh, yeah. But so, that, that's actually a pretty reasonable difference. What, what, so, so with XH2, or XH2S was the first one that was announced. And so there was that whole lead up, you know, May, I guess in May of this past year, they had the Fujifilm Summit and they previewed what was coming. Yeah. yeah they, they hinted at what was coming. And so, of course, then everybody is online speculating about the next Fuji and, and you know, when are we going to see the a stacked sensor? Because, you know, my photography will be so much better when I have a stacked sensor. Everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be changed. I just, I just need a stacked sensor because it's going to be all better. Yeah. And so, and I just tend to ignore all, I never, I rarely read Fuji rumors. I will, uh, you know, I, every once in a while they'll share some of my thing, some of my posts and my videos, but I, I really don't get caught up down the rabbit hole of well, what's coming next. Like the only, what, the only thing I really know is what Fujifilm tells me so I can speculate, but I generally don't respond to what's those kinds of things and I don't pay attention to it. And, and so, you know, I was intrigued as everyone was by, well, what was, what's this, this fifth generation camera going to look like, you know, that comes out in six months. And so when they finally announced it at the summit in the September, it was intriguing. And, and I, I guess that the surprise for me, or rather the, my observation at all of this between the XH and the XT5 XH2 and XT5 is that previously Fujifilm had three flagship tier or three three flagship cameras the XH the X Pro and the XT yeah and they were all top they were all the same they were all the same line like you just they were all the same camera not the same camera but the same level of technology and and the difference really was what body style do you want? Yep, like that was how you chose. And so with this XH2, that is an interesting flagship because that definitely has higher specs. Uh, and even the X, the XH2, both the two and the S have higher specs than the XT5. But mostly just on the video side, yep. There are a, a tiny bit different specs on the on the still photography side, but not much. Uh, in fact, the XH2 and the XT5 are pretty much identical uh, in every way except for the video specs. And there's yeah. another. And there's one. The XH2 has a digital zoom, and the XT5 doesn't have that. And actually, they. They announced the XT5 it, does have the digital zoom. It does it X the XT5. Yep. I, no, uh, you sure? Is Yuji told me it didn't. I because the the specs came out and said it did, and then I and then I was talking with Yuji and he said it didn't. But oh, okay, all right. Does. So I was going by what the specs said. I mean, I I personally don't have yeah. it, so I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. So and actually, my original XT5 video that I got up like within a couple hours after the presentation had that talked about the digital zoom. And then I was texting with Yuji during that morning 
and he said, you know, correction between the U.S. office and the, you know, uh, and the Jap- the official Japan Japan office, the XT5 doesn't have the 2x digital zoom, and so I was able to edit that out of my video. Interesting. Yeah. So and, so the and I I don't know if that's well the the one difference there there is a a, a physical difference. Uh, between or a software difference between the XH line and the XT5 is that the XH cameras have 64-bit processing on the X processor cho- chips, and the XT5 is 32-bit processing. Okay. So I don't know how much that makes a difference. Um, I mean, obviously, and and I think in terms of specs, the, the power of the camera is still. They're so close. Like I said, the X-H2 and X-T5 are pretty much identical. The X-H series has higher video specs, but a lot of that is due because you only get the higher video specs by using the CF Express cards. Yeah. And the X-T5 just has SD, which is awesome. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, shooting, I'm shooting more video these days, but I'm still not at a point where I need to. I mean, I, I don't even shoot 4K. I never shoot 4K because yeah. it just takes up way too much room in my hard drive and, and makes Final Cut Pro way run slower. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just shoot HD all the time. And so I don't care about 8K. I don't. I certainly don't need 8K. I don't even need 6.2K. Yep. I don't even shoot 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so the video specs aren't a factor for me, but I am intrigued by them, and I've thought about getting an X-H2S just for for a dedicated high performance video camera which could allow me to you know play around and experiment maybe not so much with ultra high resolution but with super fast frame rates and capture and like a 750 megabit per second bit rate which is pretty impressive yeah but at this point i just don't do that kind of video <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I'm pretty much in the same boat. Uh, the the kind of videos that I'm doing, I yeah. w- what I have is already overkill. <laughs> yeah, I mean when I when I stand in my living room in front of my green screen and talk at nobody in my empty room, uh, you know, for my YouTube videos, I'm shooting at you know 50 megabits per second HD, which is the smallest megabit sec- setting on the cameras. If I were shooting action, I'd shoot, you know. 200 or 400. So, um, and that's, yes, but so what I'm, what I'm doing, I mean, certainly YouTube videos, you don't need a high bit rate for shooting action video. You do. Yeah. The kind of, I, I, God, I need to work myself up to do any kind of action. Yeah. I've learned a lot about video in the past couple of years and I'm intrigued by it. I'm, I'm still my, my love, my primary love and fascination is for the power of a still image. Yeah. So I'm still very much a still photographer. I mean, most of my videos, almost all my videos are tutorials. So it's not like I'm really shooting video. I'm just, you know, shooting YouTube tutorials and video lessons and courses and stuff. But I have shot, uh, I've shot aerial video that I've put to music and and a few and things of that nature, but I, yeah, I just haven't shot video projects. You know, I, I it'd be intriguing, but I don't really have time for that. <laughs> I 
I got to try one this year, and I, I basically took a engagement session with a couple and built a story around it. And uh, I, I directed while a buddy of mine did the filming. And that was probably my first foray into it. And I had a lot of fun with it. I, I, I definitely want to do something um, something else, uh, maybe another short story. Yeah, it, it is intriguing. And, and I will say that I actually have done, I've shot a couple mountain bike races uh, that I would just shoot like all of the racers and then kind of do a montage of clips and That's set it to cool. set it to music, and uh, I think both of the ones I've done in the past year, a couple of years, have been in slow motion. So I'm shooting with like the 100 to 400 lens, my XT4, but shooting in high speed, uh, you know, to get slow motion effects, which is really cool. I, I and I gotta say, I am blown away by how f- awesome and how well the 100 to 400 tracks autofocus when shooting video i haven't tried that lens yet yeah i the 100 to 400 is i mean i haven't tried the 150 to 600 and i have used the 200 f2 very very briefly but for for most of the lenses out there the 100 to 400 is by far uh fujifilm's fastest most capable autofocus lens it's it's better than 50 to 140 simply because it's a little newer. It had a, a updated autofocus motor. Yep. But I am blown. I've always been blown away about how well the autofocus works when shooting stills, but I couldn't believe it. I was shooting in the dark forest on these trails, shooting kind of close-ups of riders as they're coming towards me and then passing me like in between trees. And I could not believe how well that, that X, the 100-400 tracked on the X-T4 and kept stuff that can focus and reacquired them when they came out from behind trees. <laughs> it blew me away. That's awesome. So I'm, I am intrigued at doing more video and doing things like that, shooting more action and, and, and not like, I know some of the ex photographers have done full kind of feature documentaries and stories and, and things like that. And like you did your wedding or engagement project. I'm at this point, I'm just kind of, doing kind of clips or just i guess my concept is you know i'm gonna go shoot this mountain bike race and then set it to music or i'm gonna shoot a series of aerials and then set it to music yeah which i'm also a guitar player and a a musician and so that just gives me an excuse to you know play guitar at my desk and call it work nice i'm scoring (laughs) scoring a video that i shot with my fuji that's pretty awesome um so man i i could we we took a great trip down uh, memory lane uh, for both uh, you and for Fujifilm and uh, talked about uh, a whole lot. I, I got to have you back on <clears throat> just to uh, talk about some of your other projects that you have going. But before before we let you go, uh, what, what what do you have that's coming on the horizon? That you do you have anything that you want to uh, mention? Uh, plug. Well, like I said, I have my my autofocus, my Fujifilm autofocus course. Uh, it's gonna be a video course, and that's gonna be coming on my on my website. I don't know when I'll release that, but I'll most likely after the beginning of the year. Uh, and actually, I have another course called Photography on the Brain, 
and that's much more about creativity and and uh, and confidence with the camera in terms of yeah creativity and kind of expanding styles of seeing and and that's a 30 video course there's 30 30 lessons in that course and the the gist i call photography on the brain because photography is very much a brain influenced activity it's it's it revolves highly around both left and right brain components yes we have the extremely technical side which you know we we men people love you know, our dials and our settings and our specs. <laughs> we're, you know, we're so geared, we're so geared around that stuff. Uh, and not saying that, you know, all men are that or all women are not that, but you know, we, we men people tend to have an affinity for that kind of stuff. Um, and, but at the same time, it's very much, you know, creativity and conceptual based when you're looking and seeing patterns in the world or seeing relationships and trying to compose an image and, and arrange subject matter. And so I, my photography on the brain lesson started as a, uh, a, a, a course where you would have each lesson delivered every month, but now I've packaged it as a full course. You can watch all the lessons and there's a couple of different tiers of the course, but I think it's the best, the most comprehensive, uh, lesson series I've ever done about, excuse me, about creativity and composition. So I'm really excited about that one. That's Um, awesome. And it it is so important to have the two sides being able to talk to one another, uh, the the technical and the creative. Yeah. And so I I talk about, you know, there's such a wide variety of topics, everything between like using lenses and color harmony and relationships and, and, and so I talk about how to, you know, why these things make a difference and why, why we're attracted to them, why our brains respond to these creative techniques when we see them in images. And then I talk about how to implement them into, into your work. Yeah. Because once they're in harmony, like you'll, you'll have a moment where for, for me personally, uh, I'm walking a trail and I, I come across this one area that was like, that would like, like one little thread is pulled and saying that would look good for a portrait. And then all of a sudden the technical side is figuring out how to light it. The, 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 the artistic side is figuring out how to compose it. How many people can you have uh maximum? What's the minimum? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, uh, I, I feel, a number of my favorite term that I came up with for all, for this process where you're, you know, walking along a trail, you're outside and you, something catches in your eye. And then immediately your brain starts trying to formulate all of these ideas of how am I going to make this come together as a picture? You know, I, I call this thinking geometrically or seeing geometrically. Like, yeah. here's my subject. Well, I can also gauge my background and, well, what's going on with the light? Well, when I can see that if I'm over here, the light's going to come this way, you know, and if I wait a little bit and then plus if I capture these people and I can include this and maybe I'll leave this out. So it's just gauging your entire scene and just having this understanding of everything that needs to happen in order to make it work. And in sometimes, in some cases, it happens all at once. Like your brain just goes on overdrive. You, you just see all of this, you know, all at once. It's just in, as a singular process. And that's this kind of, like that, that's this sort of Zen immersion approach 
experience that we all want to have as photographers, that we all strive to have, where we can look at a scene and instantly know how to make it happen and then have the technical execution to make it happen. Yeah. And that's the thing that's continued to fascinate me and challenge me endlessly over all of these years, ever since I bought my first camera in 19, in 1990, February of 1990. So that's, yeah, 32 years as a photographer. God, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. We put a pin in that because we're going to touch on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ne- next, uh, next time we talk. Um, yeah. But uh, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I-, I hope that uh, you have an, an amazing holiday. Um, and let, let, let's reconnect in, in the new year and yeah. do another episode because man, I could, I could pick your brain for hours. <laughs> Dude, I'm just right here. You can call me anytime you want. I'll just you talk endlessly it. about photography. <laughs> but yeah, so, I really appreciate your time, Mark. It's, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I mean, I, I love talking about this stuff. That's awesome. Um, tell the world where they can find you on the web. Uh, danbaileyphoto.com or Instagram, danbaileyphoto. But I also have a music, my music side on Instagram is danbaileymusic. Because I said I'm a guitar player and uh, and I actually dabble in keyboards and bass and stuff. And I, I actually went to school for recording engineering and music production. And so that stuff oh, really? is always, yeah, I went to Berkeley College of Music in, in the early, in mid 90s, nice. early, ni- early 90s. And so I had my degree in recording engineering and music production. And so, so that stuff has always another been an aspect of my creativity. And I've been bringing that together by putting music into my videos and, and that kind of thing. And even recording, just recording albums and songs for, just for my own sake. You can find me on Spotify and Apple Music at Dan Bailey. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Right on, so, man. Well, you- yeah. Again, have a have a great holiday, and uh, you, let's do this again real soon. Yeah, you too. I, I hope that Santa brings you your XT5, and maybe by next time we talk, I'll have one as well. Oh, I, I, we I'll do a special geek out. We can totally geek out about your XT5. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I will say I'm I'm super excited about this, the the three way screen coming back. Yes, um, and I'm I'm excited. Um, like I loved the XT3. But the, the rear command dial button was not quite as responsive as I want it to be. And I think the X-T5 will improve on that. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, X-Mark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show, where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice... That's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.